Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we're talking with Gavin Smith, who's an amateur beekeeper and biosecurity officer for the Sydney Bee Club. On today's episode, you're going to learn about the Sydney Bee Club that's located in Waverley and Ramwick, the current state of bees in New South Wales that are depleted as a result of the drought, bushfires and pesticides, and the critical role that bees play in our society and what you can be doing on a daily basis to help them. If you want bees in your garden, give me a ring and I'll put them in your garden. The native beehives have increased. I've put them over the last 10 years. I've put them into schools, school playgrounds, community gardens and private gardens as well. And they're all pollinators. It's essential that we have large numbers of bees. It doesn't matter what sort of bee it is. If we lose our pollinators, then you can kiss goodbye to a lot of plants um, that require their pollination. And now, of course, people that are connected with bees that want to make some money from manuka honey because of its medicinal qualities, they are planting tea tree. It's something which was just called scrub. Gavin, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I've just been over your way. <laughs> now, before we get into this interview, I know there's a bit of a disclaimer that you want to give to our listeners. <laughs> well, the disclaimer is anybody listening to this program has to be warned that a virus, it's called, uh, I not quite got a name, but I, I call it the bee virus. <laughs> Once you listen and get involved with bees, it takes over your brain. So just be warned, okay? <laughs> and for those who are listening, I can absolutely guarantee you will get addicted to bees. I started off as just a bee connoisseur and now my whole family is obsessed with them. Absolutely. So far you've got a native beehive. You've got bee hotels all over the backyard. You've planted I don't know how many plants, and you've also now got a, a honeybee hive at your at the farm. Absolutely. <laughs> Gavin, let's get into it. For our listeners, yeah. can you tell us all a little bit about the Sydney Bee Club? Yes, Sydney Bee Club's been going for a good while, probably about nine years, and uh, we have meetings at the, uh, the Bondi Junction, the library there, and also we have beehives for public to go and actually learn about bee, beekeeping at the Randwick Enviro Centre. And Gavin, so broadly speaking, why is it important that we do look after bees and what's been happening to bees globally? Globally, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a massacre. Australia, and it's, it's really bad. Um, bees come in a whole variety of types. In Australia, we have over 2,000 varieties. That's our native bees. And the honeybee, of course, has come in from Europe way back in 1820. But all our bees have suffered terribly with the drought to start with. And then to really knock it on the head, we have the fires that have gone through. And as well as that, once the fires had gone through, we actually had floods as well. So our native bees, they're solitary. You don't see them as a regular bee. Um, people often don't know that they're looking at a bee. But we have websites where you can look up and find out what those 
native bees look like. We have in Sydney about 200 varieties, but um, people, until they've become aware of them, they, they don't really see them. Some are very, very small, up to a couple of millimetres in size, right up to, um, for example, the, um, the big golden bee, which we call the teddy bear. That's one and a half times the size of a, uh, a honeybee. Um, and they all live in holes. They live in holes in trees. They live underground. They live in uh, masonry. And uh, you could probably find a blue-banded bee living in the mortar of your old house if you live in the eastern suburbs. The honeybee, on the other hand, uh, they live in in, uh, in hives. We put them into hives. We also they find holes in your in your walls and into trees, and they populate those quite happily. Um, but of course, with the fires, we've lost not only honeybees but our native bees as well. And the whole thing is worldwide, mainly because of the loss of habitat, the increased use of fertilisers and uh, sprays that are knocking them on the head. And also there's a mite which attaches itself to the honeybee. Uh, we are the last country in the world to be free of that. So my job as a biosecurity officer for our clubs uh, is to make sure that we check regularly for a thing called Varroa destructor mite. This one almost landed in Australia it, at Christmas. Uh, a master of a ship noticed there were dead bees on the ship's deck. He was coming from the United States where this particular mite lives, reported it, and fortunately we managed to capture that swarm of bees on the ship and have them eradicated and checked to see if they were carrying the mite, and they were. So one of our biggest concerns is when it comes to Australia, our already hard-hit uh, honeybees are going to get even harder hit. It's going to be a very, very serious problem. Now, Gavin, you've spoken about the fires and the loss of bees as a result of the fires. Roughly how many hives have been lost? We have an estimate of over 7,000 beehives. That's They're commercially cared for by beekeepers. But all the hollows in the trees, all the underground hollows where bees live, they've all been cooked. I have a very, um, a very sad video which a young beekeeper up on the, the mid-coast, uh, he lives at, at Elands in from Taree, I said, send me some photos, and he sent me not only photos, but these um, clips that he took as he walked in to inspect what was left of his hives. And uh, I can't show that to people the, when he worked into initially. His language and his despair was so intense. And the second one, he had his little boy with him, and they actually found some of the hives that were not cooked. Yeah, as he's walking along, he's just saying things, simple things like lids and straps. That's all I've got left, lids and straps. And then the little boy says, the one over here, Dad. And that's his first hive that he can rescue. To me, it's a very moving video, and uh, I show that to people, and um, I've had a lot of support helping me out. And Gavin, what are the implications of losing all of these hives and the loss of bees? People always think about honey first when they talk about honeybees, but it's not the honey that's the important thing. It's the pollination. Pollination is first, second, and third on the list. Um, 
without pollination, all of our plants, whether they be native plants or food plants that we need, they won't get pollinated. And so you don't get the reproduction, you don't get seed setting, you don't get uh, new plants coming up, you don't get new forests. So uh, it's essential that we have large numbers of bees. It doesn't matter what sort of bee it is. If we, if we lose our pollinators, then you can kiss goodbye to a lot of plants um, that require their pollination. If you name all the, your favourite fruits, I mean my favourite fruit's mango, um, you know, all of those seed fruits, they all require bees. And uh, that's probably about a third of our, our food supply. A lot of our other things like wheat, for example, and, and corn, they're, they're pollinated by the wind. But um, unfortunately, or it becomes very boring if we're dependent on wheat uh, or just corn or just cereal. I mean, <laughs> it's all right for breakfast and a piece of toast and so on. But when you think about all those extra things that we add to our breakfast, lunch and tea, um, you know, it's a huge, huge waste. And also, uh, so much livestock in the country is dependent on plants, uh, grasses and so on, that are like clover, for example. Beautiful honey, but beautiful milk too, if your cattle are feeding on it. Uh, and so everything is related. You lose your bees, you lose an awful lot. And I can't even recall the estimation of the value of the bees that they add to our national... Uh, our GDP or...? That, that's the word. <laughs> You've got it, the GDP, uh, that bees are responsible for. Uh, we'd be a very much poorer nation without them. So they are essential to us, to us in more ways than one. Now, Gavin, natural disasters might be a little bit out of our control, but what can we do to help address this depletion? You have to go to the source of where all our natural disasters come from, unfortunately. So many plants are dependent on water supply, good soil, and what we have done to degrade all of those things. Um, we've affected the rainfall, we've affected the quality of the soils, we've knocked down huge quantities of bush, it's a, it's a really interesting thing that all of a sudden people are finding manuka honey. Oh, manuka honey. Where does that come from? Well, the bees are feeding on plants that we used to bulldoze <laughs> because to make way for housing development and farm and so on. They're basically tea trees. That's just an example, you know. And now, of course, people that are connected with bees that want to make some money from manuka honey because of its medicinal qualities, they are planting tea tree, <laughs> something which was a, just called scrub. And of course, that's just one little angle. But again, uh, we have all sorts of problems in this country because we, we have, we've found this change in the weather. The bees have told us this for quite a few years. For an example, you have a, a small native bee, which we call sugar bag bee, originally came from North Queensland. The latest report from the beekeepers in Brisbane is that that bee is being replaced by another similar bee, Ostrapabea is his name, 
So Tetragonula carbonaria has now moved down the coast from far north Queensland through Brisbane and is now spreading down as far as Bega in the south coast. And it's being replaced in Brisbane by another tropical bee. So the bees have been moving down from the tropics because the temperatures have changed and they are now able to exist lower down. So scientifically, the insects have told us the place is getting hotter and hotter. And so they're able to exist further south than they've ever existed before. Uh, yes, uh, it's, a, it's a big movement and uh, the animals will tell us as well. Uh, some of the birds that are migrating, they're coming down a coast as well. Uh, well, yeah, draw up your own conclusions. <laughs> but we can say, all right, there are ways of doing it. People have been suggesting that we reduce our use of coal, gas, etc., carbon dioxide. That terrible word, oh, climate change, my God. But, uh, yeah, so it's, 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 it's um, a phenomenon which we've got to handle somehow. And on an individual basis, what can people do to help and support bees? <laughs> That's easy. Supply clean water. They're just like us. They need water. They need shelter. They need food. So the shelter is easy. You can make bee hotels. There are all sorts of things on the web of how to make them. You can get yourself a beehive uh, either a native beehive for these little sugar bag bees, which are only take up a very small volume. They're basically 300 millimetres by 200 millimetres by 280 millimetres. They don't take up much room in your garden. Or you can get a honey beehive. Or you can, you can invest in a honey beehive and put it on somebody else's property. My backyard is way too small to have a a honeybee hive. So through the bee club, the Sydney Bee Club, I've said to people, if you want bees in your garden, give me a ring and I'll put them in your garden. So we've increased the population of beehives in Sydney quite a bit and it's ever growing. The native beehives have increased. I've put them over the last 10 years, I've put them into schools, school playgrounds, community gardens uh, and private gardens as well. And they're all pollinators. So, yep, food, uh, of course, as Marjorie has already said, their backyard is beginning to fill up with flowers, lots and lots of flowers of a great variety. And, of course, um, there are books and books of plants that you can put in in Sydney or your country retreats or <laughs> wherever you like, as long as you uh, try and get them flowering all year. So a variety of plants that can go right through winter because bees are still dependent on pollen, particularly for their babies. And uh, you, if you ever spend time in front of a beehive, check the bees coming in and you'll see these wonderful little golden bags of pollen on their back legs and uh, as they come in and take it into the hive. So you'll get, you'll get gold one day, you'll get silver another day, you'll get red pollen another day it's a great variety so they're like us they like a variety of food so varieties of pollen and nectar gavin i think one of the things that people will be a little bit concerned about is around being stung by a bee do all bees sting <laughs> well the little sugar bag bees are stingless it took 
me quite a while to convince the, for example, the Royal Agricultural Society. I wanted to display them at the Easter show. And I said, these are stingless bees. They have never had a sting. <laughs> they will not sting you, etc., etc. I kept getting this reply, but people will get stung. I said, no, they're stingless. People can't get used to the idea that bees don't sting. Anyway, so that's one that doesn't sting. All our native bees that are solitary don't sting people. The only one I've ever heard of causing a casualty was a blue-banded bee which was being rescued. It was in a, a spider's web. <laughs> this poor woman, she picked the bee out of the spider's web and it didn't sting her, it bit her. Um, bees, especially solitary bees, have very strong uh, jaws because they can actually bore a hole through a piece of wood. They can dig a hole in your mortar and brickwork. So, yeah, they don't like being handled, but they won't purposely sting you. The only reason a honeybee will sting you is that they're protecting their hive. If you're too close to a hive... Or if you do something by accident, grab a flower which happens to have a bee on it and uh, you've squeezed the bee by accident and you get stung. Or my worst one was when the bee flew through the car window, bounced off the side of the car and hit me on the top of my lip at probably 100 k's an hour. It was quite a shock. I thought it was a stone, but then the sting hit me and uh, yes, that was quite unpleasant. But uh, most people are not used to being suffering pain. And they, oh, immediately they say, oh, I'm allergic. Oh, look, it's swelling. Oh, I've gone all red. That's normal. <laughs> I've got stung many times, and I'm one of the lucky ones that doesn't affect me. A very small number of people get stung and have a bad reaction. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it will get a swollen uh, area. The important thing is that you must remove the stinger the poor old bee, she loses half of her intestines attached to a bee sting. So you must not pick it out with your finger and thumb. You'll only squeeze more poison into your, into your hand or whatever it is. You must scratch it off. I, um, I teach beekeeping and I teach in schools and I always say to the kids, don't pick it off, scratch it off. You still get the pain, but it won't last as long. And get some ice or go up the chemist and get some, what's the name of that product? I, can't, I never use it, so I can't remember it. Stingo, that's right. But, of course, if you suddenly find that you can't breathe, then you might have a problem with anaphylaxis. But anaphylaxis is a very small percentage of the population. Gavin, sort of earlier before we were talking about how bee populations have been destroyed as a result of bushfires, droughts and flood, you've been doing some really amazing work with men's sheds to rebuild hives. Can you share that with everyone? Yeah, come Christmas time, we were having a Christmas party and a few beers and I was really concerned. The fires were terrible, of course. Everybody experienced it, the smoke everywhere and... Uh, I said in passing to a couple of the guys, I said, you know, there's a lot of beehives being burned out. Um, I think we could actually make some hives. If you look at how many men's sheds are in New South Wales, if we all made 100 hives, that's, uh, that's a lot of hives. And um, I, I said, you know, we could make some here. 
As a result, the committee, when we got back uh, in February, the committee said, oh, we like the idea. We'll make some hives. So I thought, okay, how many can we make? Well, so far we've made 120. The first 20 was made by the Hunter's Hill Shed, but I usually I, I go to on a regular basis. I then had a fall which put me out of action and I was copying heaps from the other guys because I couldn't work and they were doing all, all the, the first 20 hives. So I thought, well, I can't do any work, but I'll just drive around and visit other sheds. So I've been to the Waverley Shed. Um, Glebe, actually, they call themselves the Pug Shed. That's um, Piermont, Ultimo and Glebe. Then I went to uh, Canada Bay and Leichhardt, and all of these guys said, yeah, we can do that. So they've all contributed in some way uh, to making hives. Now, they're, they're small hives. They only take five frames of honeybees, but it's the quickest way that I know that you can uh, restart your colonies of bees. So you take five frames from one hive, you put it in your little box, and then you get a queen bee from a queen breeder, and you pop that in. And if the bees accept her, then she will start to lay, and you have a new colony. I've delivered the first 62 hives up to the central coast, up to a mate of mine called Peter, Peter Matheson. He is feeding his bees because there's no food for them because of the fires. He's feeding them on sugar water. He's receiving some support from uh, the government who are supplying them with sugar. He would down for 100 hives, but he's been able to increase his numbers as a result of these new hives. So he's now asking for more sugar, and uh, he's having a few problems getting that through. But uh, a lot of the supplies that beekeepers are getting in the country are based on figures that are old figures, and so they need a hell of a lot more when it comes to feeding their bees. There are no flowers. There are no plants. It's something which people aren't fully aware of because it's going to take several years before a lot of those trees and those plants regenerate. Yes, so beekeepers need a lot of extra help uh, to feed their bees, to keep their populations going, and to increase their population. So that's my little contribution is to get these hives made up. So far, I've done a series of interviews similar to this, one with the NRMA. They wanted a, a story. I gave them a story, all right. Um, the ABC did one. It was mainly for the country people in the Port Macquarie, Taree, Kempsey area, but hopefully that has spread and more uh, stories will come out of that. But the plight of the bees is very, very serious. It's devastating for the beekeepers who who find their hives completely ruined and the bees are all dead, all cooked. And uh, I'd love to be able to show you a video over the radio here <laughs> that I mentioned at the beginning of the program where poor old Pete's walking along and all he's saying is, Lids and straps, lids and straps, and the rest is just a grey pile of ash, and that's hundreds and thousands of bees. Gavin, this has been an incredibly informative and captivating chat. 
If people want to learn more about bees, where should they head to? The internet is probably the most uh, productive place. We've been so fortunate in this country that we can connect with beekeepers all around the world and all around Australia. YouTube is full of bee videos from America, Australia, you name it. Every country has it. There are traditional beekeepers who are still following their forebears in Africa, making their hives out of logs. Um, in fact, one of the hives which I love making is called a Kenyan hive. And that hive was developed to give people in Kenya not only honey that they could sell or wax they could utilise, but also they strung it on wires to keep the elephants away. <laughs> and these guys have actually got these hives surrounding their villages so that when the elephants come at night to raid their crops and they tend to squash children and people when they walk through houses, that the bees stay away from the village because they are frightened of the bees. Yeah, so you pick up all sorts of stories from all over the place. Um, in England, because of the Varroa mite, which we don't have, they're going back to the old traditional hives that they made out of straw to increase their bee populations, not to worry about um, the honey part of things, but they're going to these things called skeps, and they've been going for centuries in, in England. So they're returning to their old methods where before before the, uh, the varroa destructor mites uh, attacked their honeybee hives. The Americans, of course, they've thrown everything at the mites. They've got all sorts of antibiotics to feed their poor bees. They transport by the billions of truckloads. Yes, so it, oh, don't get me started. The abuse of the bee <laughs> for commercial purposes in America, um, and we've got to watch out that we don't follow suit here. But um, yes, yeah, so millions of bees are destroyed by insecticides, starvation because of only one crop being planted in hundreds and hundreds of acres, for example, almonds. Bees need a variety in their diet, so you know our farming practices are going to also harm them if we uh, don't watch it. Yeah, so bees have got lots of problems. <laughs> of course, my house, I think, most of the time. Gavin, before you go, there are three tough questions that we ask every <laughs> single guest that comes on to Could You Voice. You need to let us know what is your favourite beach in the eastern suburbs, where can you get the best coffee, and if you're having a burger, where would you head to? I'm probably one of the oldest um, boogie boarders in Sydney, so I, <laughs> I, go, to, I go to Bronte Beach. <laughs> That's one of my favourite beaches. No, coffee, coffee. I think it can't, well, Bronte, I go to the boogie, bogey hole, <laughs> the boogie hole, um, <laughs> the bogey hole, sorry. And um, the other one, something to do with out of the blue, is it? That's a good cafe to go to too. Yeah, they've got really delicious burgers. Yes. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us on Coogee Voice. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoy meeting you again and uh, our sand mound over there. And, uh, yes, always very willing to talk bees. As I say, you have been warned. Anytime you want, you can look up Sydney Bee Club or if you live further out in the suburbs, you can go and join the Inner West Beekeepers 
or further south, we have the Illawarra beekeepers. We all have hundreds of members all over Sydney and everybody is very happy to talk bees. You've been listening to Coogee Voice. What an interesting chat with Gavin. Now, if you'd like to start your own bee-friendly garden, head to my electoral office at 55 Frenchman's Road. I've got free bee-friendly seed mix to get you started. If you'd like to learn more about the Sydney Bee Club, head to sydneybees.org.au. Thanks for listening to Coogee Voice. 